Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, I'm Julian Moss-Backman, and this is Change Already, Your Future, Your Choice. See, I guess we're going to listen to that music one more time. (laughs) My guests will like that. (laughs) There we go. As promised last week, I was talking about my event that I was going to attend last week in Chicago with Father John Mulder, who was a part of the process. And that talk was the talk that was given by the Holiness Dalai Lama of the 14th in Tibet on nonviolence in Chicago at Loyola University. For those of you that are not familiar with the Dalai Lama in particular, he's the spiritual leader of six billion Tibetan people, and he's considered right now one of the foremost teachers and scholars in the world who's promoting global peace, freedom, and nonviolence. It was such an honor to attend such a high esteem event and be in the presence of an enlightened master. And for those of you that have not been able to do that and you have a chance to sit or be even present with an enlightened master, you should jump at the chance anytime you can get it because it will truly change your life. I want to take this half hour to host an unfiltered discussion with my guest this week, Father John Mulder, as I said earlier, and I want to compare notes of what he came away with and what I came away with. As you all know, I have a degree in psychology, and I'm absolutely fascinated by the subject of exploring how an individual perceives, hears, and interprets the exact same information. It reminds me of when we used to play that game telephone talk and you'd whisper something in someone's ear and and it would just filter all the way down. I want to use that same concept today to talk to John about what he heard in the message and compare our ideas. Each person listens and responds to messages in their own way. And I have to be honest with you, he's talking rather quickly and he has a deep native tongue, so it really forced you to listen and be quiet to the message and take in everything you had. I carry along with me most of the time a piece of paper and a pen, but I wasn't even able to do that. So I had to take in in my 
old memory as much as I possibly could and pray that perceptions were coming through correctly. And when I do that, I really like to host a debriefing session with my friends so I can fill in the blanks of what my memory didn't take in. So what I want to do in this half hour, as I've talked about, is talk about his message that he he gave to us about nonviolence in the country. And he's talking about this all over the world, but I think it's extremely important that we keep talking about the escalation of violence in our particular country ourselves, whether that's through bullying, harsh words, or gosh forbid, even that physical harm to another person, it needs to be addressed as much as possible, and we need to keep it on the table until we can reach that pinnacle that he was talking about, the Dalai Lama, about nonviolence and peace. So I want to introduce John Mulder before he comes on. I want to tell you a little bit about him. I was able to go because he was asked to be a part of the opening ceremonies for the Dalai Lama last week. He's a Catholic priest, but he's also known in the music industry for his talent in the genre of jazz. Believe it or not, he's been in there for 20 years. I don't want to talk about our age or anything else, but he's quite an expert. He obtained a master's at Northwestern University, and from there his career just exploded. He published his first album in 1993, and straight through today, he just published a couple weeks ago, correct, John? the newest album, The 11th Hour, Live at the Green Mill. He's currently an educator and a faculty member at Northwestern Benedictine College of the Performing Arts in the Roosevelt University. That's all in the Midwest for those of you that are listening in other places. In between all that, believe it or not, he does concerts, he does lectures, and he teaches master's programs the clinics and institutions and university all over. Now, his present assignment is with the Catholic Church involving the arts. And I want to talk to you, John, Father John Mulder. Can you start there and tell me what your assignment is with the church exactly? Sure. Uh, And nice to be here, Jillian. Thank Um, you. Yeah. Um, Well, basically, uh, it's... uh, there's there's a, a number of different things that I do uh, with the church and the arts. One of them is I'm looked at as a bit of an arts chaplain because I'm so involved in the arts world. Uh, I have a, you know a strong connection with a lot of artists, musicians, and so forth. And so there are there are priests in the diocese that are, let's say, like uh, chaplains of the police department or at hospitals or um, even at airports, you know. So uh, I'm considered that within the arts world, which is, you know, because I'm a bit of a natural bridge there. So, uh, you know, that means I'm I'm, I'm very much connected and uh, in a – you know, a personal way and also a, a pastoral way too. Um, I do a, a, a good amount of uh, work with uh, the arts and myself, but also I try to be, bring people together for uh, reflection on uh, the arts. So recently I did a symposium on theology and the arts where I involved pastoral ministers and musicians and artists and um 
and also theologians uh, to have conversations that they might not otherwise have. So um, it's in that realm that I'm working, uh, you know, with the arts and religion. I know I kind of threw that question out of uh, left field to you, but I thought that was a good way of describing your work as the Catholic Church because I know that it's in the arts, and I always say that you're in the trenches in the world. It's beyond the Catholic Church. Arts bring everyone together, and I guess that's mm-hmm. what I wanted to ask you is that mm-hmm. how you got to be a part of the opening ceremony for the Dalai Lama? You were you did some music in the opening ceremonies for that. Is that how it came about? Well, it came about um, principally from I knew you know some of the people who were organizing it from work that I've done, but. Uh, I think you're you're right in the sense that I was introduced to them through my work in the arts, you know. Okay. Uh, and yeah. then they got to know about me, and uh, we, you know, have kind of collaborated on various things, and then they asked me to be a part of this, you know, opening ceremony. How did that feel? I mean, I can't imagine being a part of such a historic event in the country to be backstage and being able to play for His Holiness, that must have been a wild experience. Well, it was. I mean, as as musicians, we're accustomed to kind of being in all sorts of different situations. And so not not to say this was just one like many, but uh, but it has, it has some similarities, you know. There's uh, – we're – you know, backstage we had to arrive very early just because of the high security for the event. So yeah, uh, sure. There was a you know a lot of time spent backstage. I, I performed with Jim Galloretto. Basically, you know, we just got back there. It was very cold in there just because it, you know it was this big arena. It hadn't really warmed up yet. And uh, but we tried to warm up and just you know play our instruments and such and, and get ready. But really, there was a nice camaraderie with uh, the various musicians and performers who were there because so, you know some of us knew each other, some of us didn't. But uh, it's always a chance, you know, a nice chance to to visit. So so we did so, and uh, I think I think it was a, a real nice uh, fellowship. Well, and the thing that's Right, and the thing that struck me, you were backstage for some of it, and then you were able to join in with the rest of us in the crowd, I should say. But what was amazing to me, John, was the influx of all different kind of faith cultures. I mean, there were people in the crowd. Now we're talking like about upwards of 4,000, and the seats were full. And they were full with Native Americans that had on their traditional garb. You had practicing Mm -hmm. Buddhist people. You had, you know, just people in street clothes. It was that kind of event that brought every community of faith together. It was an extraordinary event. Now, you know that he talked about nonviolence, and you and I went our separate ways right after, so we really didn't have a chance to talk. So that's why I yeah. thought we could talk today. What phrases sure. or comments stuck in your head that he talked about that maybe I missed and vice versa? 
Okay. Well, you know, uh, there, there were a lot of things that I recall and that I was interested in what he had to say about. But um, one of the things I think that he was asked is, you know, how do we plant the seeds of nonviolence yeah. uh, in, in our world? And I think one of his uh, answers, part of his answer anyway, was to try to shower children with love and affection and helping them to feel secure. And it's a rather simple thing. And, of course, you know, you know, psychologists and all, you know all sorts of people would would you know sign on with that statement, and certainly many people in religion. But it's an important thing to bring us back to. We overlook how important that time is. The question it left me with is, uh, you know, that you know why if for children, why not adults also? You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think we all uh, really, uh, you know desire that uh, love and affection and sense of, uh, you know, connection with other people. And I think that that, that does provide foundation for nonviolence. Yeah, so he was really... Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. You're you know, exactly okay. right. He, he really did uh, stress the point of teaching the children now. Don't you think? I mean, it was... We're kind of where we're at. <laughs> right. You know, we're yeah. riding it out. And mm-hmm. what I thought was interesting was he called our age group, he's much older than we are, obviously, but he mm-hmm. talked about our age group as being the inspirators. And ah. that the next group yeah. that you're talking about is that we are supposed to instill love and, and affection. And the second word that he talked a lot, John, about was compassion for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I know. And that's that's something that he I think he continually goes back to and um you know, how how to cultivate that, you know, you gotta see beyond our, our differences somehow and, and look at, you know, each person as um being like yourself in some way, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I thought it was interesting, the story that he talked about when he went to Mexico in particular and when he was talking to that culture and they believe that they are the best culture in the world and the rest Mm -hmm. of the world would, you know, have to work around their culture. And then he said that every country he's been to feels the same way. <laughs> right? Didn't he know, say yeah, that? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he said, if you're not, you know, Americans believe America's the best culture and Chinese believe the Chinese are the best culture. And he said exactly what you're talking about, which is how do we transcend all of that to have compassion for other people that are in different places. I thought it was interesting, John, to be honest with you, how he talked about religion and how it was time to transcend all of that and get down to our commonality. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. I I found that that uh, a point of interest too. I, I'm not sure. Um, 
Yeah, we're, and yet at the same time, you know, he he affirms the religions and their role. Like he said, you know, I'm Buddhist, and and uh, you know, it's important that I, you know, practice how I practice. And yet, um, I think he also wants to dialogue be much beyond the boundaries of religion and not have them be barriers, you know, in any way. So I think it's that he has, at least I felt, at least what I heard, was kind of this twofold. Uh, there was a lot of things that I thought were like a balancing in him. Like, uh, on the one hand, uh, I practice as a Buddhist. As a, on another hand, I want to go beyond the, the barrier of, you know, or boundary of my religion to reach out to others. Um, similar thing I thought he said, like, about almost like ego. He wanted to balance, like, willful action in the world, which actually he affirmed, uh, but also with non-attachment, <laughs> you know, not too much desire. So um, it's, I found him an interesting balance of some of those qualities. Um, at any rate, is it, did, did you re- recall that too, or... I do. I, that's exactly right. But what was great about it was that he did it exactly as you said, without ego. And the words that he he said were placement that everybody could relate to. Because he yeah, was what, was, what to, was really nice is he had those kind of uh, just very um, down to earth examples things that that were very human that people could relate to and, you know, also just kind of self-disclosive about himself in that very human way that I think uh, helped people connect with his teachings. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why he was so compelling and compassionate because you could tell that he had literally gone through past these boundaries that people insist on keeping intact and he also said that when he started this work years and years ago there they weren't talking about this kind of stuff john it sounds like when he started they were very polarized in religious factions and spiritual factions mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what was uplifting and encouraging was he said that people are talking this way globally not just mm. in America, that they were talking yeah. about true peace and true compassion at a level that he has not seen in the past, that these kind of talks and balance that you talked about are starting to affirm itself all over the universe. I thought that was so uh, encouraging to hear. Isn't it? Yeah, I know. I know. Me too. I, I it's it's great to to hear that taking root more and more. So I, and he you know he would know just in terms of the extent of his travels and what the conversations are and so forth. So you know really glad to hear that. Yeah, and the other part that was interesting is that he talked about our commonality. He talked yeah. about we all have common senses that we all use. And we have common experiences, and we all have science. He said, you know, do you remember he really targeted those three elements 
as commonalities between all human beings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, that was very interesting, and that's a that's a place where we can come together and begin our discussion with each other, no matter who you are, and no matter what your tradition you're living out of. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's really great work on his part to like to to find those places where we can come together as as one, because you need that as a foundation, you know, for in which to, you know, to be with one another, to grow with one another, and actually probably for a, a, a you know, a starting point for nonviolence, too. Well, yeah, exactly, and you rebound from there to talk about that there's nothing wrong with harsh words. He said that nonviolence includes harsh comments, harsh words to people that are, you know, or countries that are out of line with what they're doing. But the part Uh that you picked up on very well that I had a little trouble with was this common sense thing he called the actor and the action. Do you recall that? Distinction, yeah, that distinction I've I've heard of certainly in other places, and a lot of right, a lot of a lot of people who guess are writing on forgiveness and uh, you know and so forth have made that distinction that you know um, when you're working with forgiving someone, you can forgive the actor, you know, the person, and yet the action. Sometimes we refrain from forgiving because we feel like, well, to forgive the person is to condone what they did or say, well, that wasn't really so bad. And in some ways, it it could really be that it was harmful, you know, uh, what was done. So the action, uh, I think, is what he was saying, um, you know, can sometimes warrant uh, some reprimanding or some, you know, some harsh language. But uh, to be compassionate with the actors. And um, so I found that very interesting. Well, yeah, and it didn't sound like he was saying, don't don't make them, I'm sorry. He said, it's not about accountability. You know, I think people think when you use the word nonviolence, it means that there's not some kind of accountability and forgivability. I believe he said in his talk that we still have to make countries, people, individuals accountable, but there's Mm -hmm. a way of doing it in a nonviolent way that still can cause growth to the country, to the individual, to the person, and that it is, accessible way for resolution. I, I believe that's what he was saying in all that. Mm-hmm. And in some ways that, that makes it feel more real, you know, because exactly. how are you really going to get to a place of peace unless uh, if there are harmful things that have been done, that those are really put on the table and candidly, you know, addressed. So, um, no, I think that, that that's you know, that's a realistic program towards peace in that regard, you know. 
Yeah, because he was really big on self-worth, you know, and self-work. And he talked mm-hmm. about the children, going back to what you were saying earlier, he really talked about how this whole self-awareness and self-worthness needs to be incorporated with the educational system that we're in today and start them at a very young age to start feeling that inward sense and that that will add to the nonviolence because that in itself gives you all those characteristics of a humanness that has compassion, love, and affection you were talking about for another human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so once again, it gets back to, you know, starting this early on. And, you know, I think because I'm in education, I see, you know, um, sometimes what's what's going on there that, um, I don't know, his, his talk made me think about uh, things that we might not label as violence, but that have a kind of a violence in modern day life, you know, and see this in education, like uh, one is not only, of course, images of, of violence in modern life, but, uh, but the pacing of it, the frantic, you know, pace at which a lot of us can, you know, live our lives, and even students. I mean, I noticed that, you know, students in uh, elementary school, high school, definitely college, are kind of running at a, <clears throat> a faster pace and more... Um, you know, frantic pace than uh, even when I was, you know, in those schools. And that there's, you know, how much can we stuff in a day? How much can we expect out of ourselves? And that really, like, going at that frantic pace is kind of, uh, you know, we we think we're accomplishing a lot, but sometimes it's almost kind of a lower level of functioning or something or, you know, vibration, if you will. So... I think it's um, it really bears our reflection on what, you know, I think he wanted us to start with oneself, you know, and say, what about my life? What's, you know, what things are kind of doing violence in my life? Where, how can I eliminate that? How can I look within and and become a more peaceful person? And then that carries, it's carried into families and to larger groups and communities and, and you know, countries, and then we can, you know, kind of talk globally. <clears throat> but it's that uh, beginning with oneself that I, I I also heard that, Jillian, too, yeah. Well, you describe it well because one of the, the critiques I have on in how do you critique the Dalai Lama, you really can't. But he kept insisting on what we're talking about, which is instilling this self-worthness and this inner strength to our children but he, that's where he stopped. I mean, he didn't yeah. tell us how to get it into the educational system. And what you're talking about is exactly what I think is needed. And you're, so you're on the inside of the track of education. And so, you know, the pacing idea is really smart there because he didn't give any suggestions like that. Well, and yeah, maybe that's, you know, something that's, you know, certainly all of us can do and follow up. I mean, I think another thing he talked about, too, is like how to transform what we might call lower emotions into higher ones, you know? Yeah, and right. I think there was some good questions asked of him, you know, how did you, um, well, this was at later on, 
uh, he was asked, um, you know, how, how did you deal with your emotions with the Chinese, for example, and, um, you know, who overtook Tibet? And, and I, I didn't find a really clear uh, answer to it. I, I found a clear conviction that you can transform um you know, emotions like anger and fear into, um, you know, kind of a higher, through awareness uh, into something that is, you know, more positive in the person. But, um, and I know in his books he's talked about, you know, like, for example, anger or something like that. It's important to acknowledge it but not to, like, live in it or get consumed in it. Um but how you actually do that, you know, transformation. I mean, I think that's really important work and something that I'd just like to see discussed more <laughs> in school, yeah. uh, among, you know, among various groups. So, uh, yeah, I agree. That, I mean, he was really... Great optimism that we could do it, you know. And right. um, that's one thing that also struck me uh, me about him is his optimism, you know, in the world. I mean, kind of, I remember a few different times he said, like, well, no, about the future, no guarantee, but, uh, you know, I work with great optimism, you know. So I we, thought that was interesting and kind of uh, inspiring. Well, you know what? Our half hour is done. I'm going to have to leave it right there. I like the way you closed the whole place. Father John Mulder, thank you so much for joining us on air. And tell me one more time the name of the new CD that's out and when you're going to be in the, at the Green Mill. Yeah, uh, it, well, it, it, it's called The 11th Hour, live at the Green Mill. It's with my quartet. I, uh, it's a live recording of us from last year, and we're celebrating the release at the Green Mill May 11th and 12th, a Friday and Saturday, coming right up here in another week or two. Awesome. Well, thanks again. We're done. Remember, next week I'll be on again Thursday, and I'm going to talk about superstitions and how that all started, and I'd love to hear some of your own superstitions. But between now and then, remember, change doesn't have to be difficult, but it is necessary to grow. I'll see you next week, same time, Thursday, high noon. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.